All right, Greg Hammond is here with us on Best Hour of Their Day. Now, many of you may not have heard of Greg, but you have seen Greg because he's the lunatic running around on the competition floors at all the sanctionals, previously at regionals, at the CrossFit Games, making sure the Concept 2s are ready to go. Welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's fun to be on. So you and I go back a very long time. We were just reminiscing even about the first ever Concept 2 rowing seminar. But before that, before the relationship of Concept 2 with CrossFit, how did you get involved with the company? Hold on, Jace. You just cut out. <laughs> Great. Well, there is shoddy internet here in Boulder, Colorado. But okay. let, me re let me ask you that again. Sure. How did you get started with Concept 2? Um, I started here 23 years ago. I had a, a business doing corporate wellness in Maine, uh, working in paper mills and was from Vermont. But because I was on a budget with my corporate wellness, I would always buy Concept 2 equipment because of how fit you could people get people on it and it wouldn't hurt my budget that much. And when I'd call up, I would talk to old college buddies that worked here and stuff. And eventually I just said, I, I want to move back and this company's it's really cool. So I actually moved back, um, started working here, uh, building oars, building hand building rowing machines. Um, this would have been like 96, I believe, around that time. And um, just been here ever since, kind of worked my way through all the different jobs here and, and ended up in marketing um, and a focus on CrossFit because when CrossFit first started, uh, they needed uh, someone who was prior service to teach some rowing at um, the Navy SEAL uh, Bud School in San Diego. And that's when I first met uh, Dave and Greg and Eddie Lugo and all the original kind of OG CrossFit guys. Yes, yeah, some old school names there. Yeah. But, you know, we all see Concept 2 now, 2019. It's huge. In 96, was the company as big as it is today or – you know, is it just one of those companies we wouldn't, you know, I was involved in fitness and the rower was one of the pieces of equipment that would collect dust over in the corner of the Globo gym. And, you know, CrossFit really elevated that. What was it like back in the day there? Was it, was it, you know, just this thriving and we weren't aware of it? No, it's funny, but that's a great question. I don't really get that that much. Um, and a lot of the times when I do stuff like this is um, you're 100% right. So it's kind of weird. So we're, we're always been big in the rowing market. So uh, what people don't realize is that rowing is a really big sport globally. So um, when I first got here, like most of our sales were, or a lot of our sales were to the UK market, you know, because of our oars and rowing and training for on water rowing. Of course, we always had the Harvards, the Yales, the, any of the schools that had big rowing programs. And then you're right, we're always a staple in all these different Globo gyms, they would buy like two rowers. But if you ask them when they bought them, why they're buying them, like, well, we just need to have them. We don't know why, but we just got to have two. And so they would be pushed to the back of the room. And typically they were used by the older clientele and they would just be bought back and forth. And we were kind of known as like that machine that the older people used or like it, we were definitely not cool. We were not cool for the majority of our lifespan, you know, that were there. It was only until people started training hard on it and throwing up that we got cool. You know, they're like, oh, wait, the, the, the more people hurt themselves on the machines, the more we sold, the more they loved them. They realized that 
you'll never beat the machine. And then that's when we started getting popular. When people saw that it could be an easy piece of equipment to use for warm up, but it could also wreck the most elite athletes of the world at the same time. Well, and also in comparison to some of those other pieces of equipment serving the same function, like ellipticals, a fraction of the price. And I can tell you, having owned three affiliates, they don't break. <laughs> you know, so we don't take it lightly. So we still make everything right here in Vermont. So you're right. We, we put a lot of emphasis on quality and the thankfully and the you know you've met the brothers you've met the founders and they're the lead engineers and they really truly believe that you should be able to buy it once and have it the rest of your life um and to this day um you know we sell pm5 monitors with bluetooth technology and all stuff that will retrofit onto a model a rowing machine which is the bicycle wheel in the front that was made in like 1983 you know so you'll always we don't engineer obsolescence. We just make it anything cool that new comes out. We try to make it to retrofit on the old ones because the machines itself should last you forever. Yeah. We had a model B at yeah. Albany CrossFit. I got it. You know, when I first opened my affiliates, I would just go on Craigslist because people would buy these and not use them and sell them at a half price. Oh, the model B's. <clears throat> so when, like we're the same era coming into CrossFit, Model Bs were a staple because back then when you opened an affiliate, you were either making your own equipment, you know, welding up your own pull-up bars, filling basketballs with sand for, for D-balls, um, and they were going out, like you said, and getting Craigslist rowing machines, or they were you know, going to their grandmother who had this rowing machine and said, hey, can I have this for CrossFit and stuff? So Model B, even, so as you know, I train out of Champlain Valley CrossFit. When Jade Jenny started that and I started going to work out with him, he actually had two Model Bs and a couple of Model Cs at the time. And then kind of lucky for him, I was able to get him like stuff from here afterwards. So we quickly pushed those to the side. But um, but yeah, that's Model Bs. That are, I bet you 90% of all the Model Bs we've ever made are probably still in use somewhere. And I will tell you, even though it was older, the foot pads were wood. Oh, sure. right. Yeah. people would fight over it because it, there was this belief at the box that the meters were easier on the model <laughs> B. So they would all fight over the model B. Yeah. And it's, it's really kind of an illusion, just like on the new ones where we have a damper that goes one to 10 that is affects the drag on the B's. The really early ones didn't have that, but it had two different sprockets, a small one and a big one. So if you didn't understand drag factor and it happened to have been on the smaller sprocket, it might feel like it was easier when in all reality, it was just a different feel. It wasn't necessarily going to get you more or less because it's always affected by your technique and the, and the drag in there. But yeah, the, the wooden, the, everything it was wood handles, wood, wood footboards. Yeah. The thing weighed about 80 pounds is crazy. Well, and you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't break it in half. It was one solid piece. Yeah. And I don't believe it went upright like the new ones do either. No, no. Matter of fact, um, yeah, it was two-inch box steel construction monorail on there that if you ever come to, well, you've been to Concept 2. We used to use that for everything. So anything that was made in the production or used in the production of rowing machines turned into if we needed a desk, if we needed a, you know, a table, everything was made out of that same two-inch box steel. It was everywhere. So... I want to ask you about a couple of the nuances of the machine in a minute. But before that, 
let me ask you about this. The last couple of years in the open, when rowing has come up, there's been a little bit of a hack that people have found in order to get, I believe, like seven calories a pull. I don't know the exact hack. Tell, tell us what goes on within the rowing machine itself, within the ERG, that allows this to happen. Well, first of all, it, it was completely fixed, and it was actually put in there on purpose way back when, in the 90s, when we first got it. And the founders called it basically sweatshirt mode. So in other words, if you started rowing and you're like, oh, I'm hot, you, you want to stop for a second and take your sweatshirt off about seven seconds and start rowing again, it would recalibrate because what people don't realize is between strokes is when it does the calibration of drag factor. And so what it was doing is it was just getting confused at the drag factor it was set at. And I mean, the nice thing is at seven seconds, you're clearly cheating if you use this because no one in the right mind takes one stroke every second, seven seconds. That's the only time it shows up. And since it's been changed in all the software and stuff like that, so you can't do it. And of course, if someone saw you do it, they would call you out on it. But yeah, we put it in there as a, as a benefit to people so that it didn't screw up their workouts. It gave them a chance to time to basically take it off in the middle of it. But then certain people thought they were cool and put it out on the internet to make themselves look cool. And yeah, it caused a big stir, but luckily it was caught by just about everybody. So 99% yeah, of CrossFit. That was a blowing up that day. Yeah. 99% of CrossFitters are willing to work as hard as they can, but there's always 1% looking for the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I liken it to the guys that said, you know, for burpee over bar, I'm going to use fractional plates for 135. You know, it's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can try to be clever, but you're cheating the system and that never helps anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's the argument I've always had. If you have to game the system that much, you're just not fit enough. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. like, thank you for playing. Now go home. <laughs> so I, I've got two quick questions about the rower, but I want you to do me a favor. I want you to explain it to me as if you're trying to explain it to a five-year-old, uh, all right? Yeah. All right, so here's the challenge. And then about 30 seconds to a minute. Okay. Okay, so for the listeners out there, one, probably one of the most common misconceptions about the rower is that damper. Yeah. Okay, as if you're explaining it to a five-year-old. Not because I don't understand it. I completely right. get it, Greg. Yeah. You don't have to explain it to me. Yeah. For the benefit of the listeners, the damper. Okay, so... This is good. We do this all the time, but it's never easy. Um, so the way that the loading or the drag happens is air gets pulled into the side of the rower and diffused out around the flywheel. The amount of air that gets pulled in dictates how much the flywheel slows down between strokes. Okay. So in other words, and if you understand inertia, a slower moving weight takes more energy to get spinning fast again. So depending on how you're most efficient, you will set your damper based on your stroke rate and your power output to where you're most efficient. So it's gonna be different for everybody, but everybody should try different drag factors to find out where they're most efficient. For guys like us who do a lot of it, or, or me, I know where my sweet spot is, and that is a drag factor of a 117 to 120 for anything that's about thousand meters and higher okay based on my I usually run about 27 to 33 strokes a minute that's where I can ping right along with good form and that's where I get the most meters in my time 
Now, if you're somebody who may have less cardio and you're a big, strong ox and you, you think of every stroke as a deadlift, then you can have a really high drag load. And instead of thinking of strokes, you're thinking of them as reps and you might do well with that. But anybody who does well with that, with a little bit of cardio would be better off at a lower drag factor so that you're not overcoming that really slow flywheel between strokes. Right. So the misconception, I mean, the big misconceptions are that's resistance. And, and I try to, you know, you explained it well, probably over a few people's heads when you threw the word inertia out there, but, but I liken it to like bicycle racing. And I tell people, it's like, you can be in this really high gear that's hard and you're standing and you're climbing or in this low gear, like Lance Armstrong and you're spinning, you're both trying to accomplish the same work. One's doing a lot more reps to accomplish it, and one is doing less reps, but you're both moving. It, that, that's, that's very good. That's, that's, that's another way to think of it. In Do there. you want me to move to concept two and work for you guys? To no, explain we tried to get paper? you, what, 15 years ago, and you know, <laughs> you're a world traveler. But, I'm, too uh, small. I'm too small to work at concept two. One of the things is that is it, although it, people like to think it's confusing and it might be confusing, it's easily understood if someone's willing to practice the rower like they practice their Olympic lifts. You know, I'll, I'll come into class and I'll see people in the back room practicing their snatch. I rarely see somebody on the rower looking at different drag factors and finding out what. He's still there, Greg. I think we lost him for a second. Come on back, baby. Come on back. You there, Greg? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, it's, I'm telling you, Colorado, since we moved here, has no internet. And I'm in my house with, like, the top of the line. So you were saying, you know, get on there, check out different drag factors. Right. For efficiency and then also not just efficiency at one distance, but at a couple of distances. I mean, we know it, as CrossFitters, what we're going to see primarily are going to be 250s. 500s, 1000s, and then it starts getting less and less up into the 5000s and stuff like that. So it doesn't take that long to find your efficiency. You just need to play around with it a little bit, you know, different drag factors. Um, we can help you a little bit on our website. We have it described, or you can call and talk to any one of us because I have the ability now, which is pretty good after being doing it for so long is, is look at somebody and see what they're, you know, are they more endurance? Are they more power? What's their body weight? And I can kind of get them close. And even within that, they'll probably want to mess around a little bit, you know, one or two drag factors or points. So let me give you a couple of quick ones. What's the ideal strokes per minute? So if you go to the website, it's like 27 to 33 is a very broad that's what we suggest. Now, you or I, everyone knows you and I are not very tall people. Um, it's going to be different than, say, someone who's 6'6", just because of the length of their leg and the travel that they have on the monorail. You and I are going to bottom out much quicker than somebody with long legs, so we're going to already be coming back for another stroke while they're still finishing their first one just because of the length of their leg and that. So, you know, when we give these suggestions on stroke rates, a lot of that's going to be a little bit with a grain of salt, but that's going to be the range, you know, even if you're five feet tall, you probably aren't going to be much higher than like say 35. And if you're six, eight, you probably won't ever go much lower than, you know, I don't know, 
know, maybe like 23, 24. Um, and then it's also too, is like, you know, and, and you're going to always try to start from a dead stop. You're going to try to get the flywheel spinning as fast as possible. So you might start out with like three or four really quick strokes and then settle into your efficient stroke rating. That was one of the best tips I got. I think it was Angela Hart at the Concept 2 seminar that I took. And it was all about Fight Gone Bad. Yeah. And I remember when I first started Fight Gone Bad in like 2007, I could barely get 10 to 12 calories in that minute. And then Angela Hart taught a trick about, you know, getting that flywheel going and and hanging on to it. And now even to this day, you know, easily getting 15 to 20 in that minute, which for me is very good. I think that video is out there on YouTube. So Definitely go, you know, search concept to fight on bad. You'll probably get a whole bunch of nonsense. But if you can find the Angela Hart video with that trick, that's really good. And then, or if you just, if you Google search uh, race start, like a race, race start, start on a rolling machine, same thing. And, and what it was, it'll feel heavy from a dead stop, you know, a couple of hard pulls. And then as you settle into the next two or three strokes, because you're going to be going at, you know, it's going to feel lighter. And that's when you really start, you know, picking up. A little bit more on there but there's always this misconception that you rode differently for calories versus meters and stuff and that's all bs if you have an efficient uh rowing stroke and power output for meters it'll represent itself in watts it'll represent itself in calories at the same time so uh rowing well and understanding the machine is what's going to get you you know more meters there's no real way to trick it or game it you know keep in mind we have people making and not making olympic teams by fractions of seconds um over this last 30 years, somebody would have figured it out and it's not, you just got to do the work. That's it. All right. I'm going to throw some distances out there and I want you to give me the average damper setting that you would tell people to use, you know, forgetting about all the other factors, just really first thing that comes to your head. All right. Yeah. Two, two fifty. Uh, when you said, but I mean, that's the problem is it's going to depend on the size of the person. No, 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 no. Just, just, you know, because, well, let me say this. Okay, so at, two, at the shorter the distance, you probably can handle more load. Right, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. So um, because of the fact that when it starts to eat you up, you'll be off. You'll be done. It'll be really quick. Um, and that's if you're just doing a 250. I think all of us have been there where we're like, oh, rowing's my jam. You crush a 250, and the next movement might be uh, pull-ups, and you just go there and stare, stare at the bar because you're breathing so heavy, you can't, can't do it. Um, so, and that's another reason I say practice, you know, what you do is, you know, even myself when I travel, of course, Oh, Greg's here from Constitu, let's do a rowing workout. What they don't realize it's hard for me too, you know, and, and if you go there and try to just crush the row, it tends to eat you up in other places too. What's your and best work- ever 2k? Oh, it's not great. It's like a 650. So that's still, yeah. I mean, my best is 711, and I trained very hard for that. So yeah. 650 is still awesome. So, and, yeah, I mean, for our height and stuff like that, um, you know, I, I was happy with that. This was, you know, this is at Crash Bees years ago, and I actually trained for it. Um, for me, at my height and my background in sport, I'm a, I'm a, High skier times and my rowing times aren't that far off, which it's it's rarity. It depends on the person and the build that they are and how they generate their power if that happens. But yeah, I, for me, if someone said you of the biker, the skier, and the rower, what do you prefer? I'm gonna go skier every time for me because I know I'm you know you always want to do what you're better at. So 
Yeah, and I want to talk about the skier and the bike and how that came about. But let me let's finishing up on the rower. What's the worst workout you can program for somebody on the rower? Ro exclusively rowing. You know, CrossFitters are listening to this, and Greg says, you know, one of the longest, you know, employees of Concept Two. This is a workout that will absolutely trash you. You'll be vomiting. What would it be? Most meters in a minute. Max Most meters me in a minute. All right. Well, I'm going to do this for the listeners. Okay. If if you take a picture of that or film yourself and and hashtag us. Fern and I will pick a winner, or we won't pick a winner. Whoever gets the most meters in a minute, and yep. we'll send them. We'll send them a prize. We'll do one guy, one girl. Okay. One, uh, one. The worst uh, for me, the worst work cross. Anytime you rowing and thrusters, like I'm not one of these guys that brags about ever throwing up or other stuff. And I was one of the lucky guys that didn't happen very often. But the one time it happened, we were working with the Marine Corps down in Camp Lejeune, and we were doing rounds what was it it was basically rowing and thrusters and so you got that same kind of motion going with no break in there and it hit me like like that was the worst that for me something about rowing and thrusters makes me nauseous in there but, well and then of course that became the open workout in i think 2017 with the thrusters you know and rowing and that was yeah. brutal yeah it, i remember waking up that next day and i was like i cannot believe how sore i am from this workout yeah yeah it's it's bad well, and then acid bath from that lovely Dubai gave us that that is probably the most pain I've ever been in. Like what was that? Bath. That's the so it's um you start out on look at this right it, it's you start out on the skier and it's um 500 500 1000 so 500 meters is that right or are we going 1000 1, yeah, it's 500 500 1000 on the bike so and as fast as you can go through it. Okay, so you just start this gear, hammer out 500, walk to, to walk to the row or 500 meters fast as you can, right on the bike for 1,000 meters fastest time. And, and when you get done, it's the craziest thing. And, and if you want to see a great video, um, Heber uh, did it with Marston. This is after um, Dubai. And what's crazy about it, and it's very representative, they aren't, they're not faking it because it happens to me too. You'll get down and go, that ah, wasn't so bad. And then all the lactic acid just starts to increase and get panicky. And you can't sit in one spot and you got to move around. And yeah, I mean, it was, I thought they were kind of playing it up for the camera because they're so good at that. And then I did, I'm like, nope, this is completely legit. And if you ask Frazier, he said the same things that people were just like bodies on top of bodies after that event. Well, it's just enough of a change in the muscles you're using to stay at that 100% effort. I would oh, imagine, which is no why it hurts so bad. It has to go because every yeah. muscle has worked over the three pieces of equipment. Yeah. See, we, we talked a little bit earlier about how people can kind of figure out you're right. People will pick up a barbell, practice gymnastics, no one hops on a rower. But let's look at it from the coach's perspective. I think the rower, oftentimes, whether it's in the workout or, you know, it's coming in the workout, the coaches are just like, all right, you know, get on the rower. And then during, during the actual wad, minimal goes on there it's like let's focus on the other pieces yeah what is what's some low-hanging fruit that a coach can look for to get their athletes better on the rower quickly yeah that, that's a really that's that's really good because there is like i tell people we can get you from ugly to decent pretty quickly decent to good takes forever yeah so, it's a um, skill it's a like you said earlier like like the clean and jerk and the snatch it's literally an olympic sport yeah 
you know, we don't expect you to become virtuosos in the rower, but like you just said, how can we go from ugly to good? So uh, big thing is people get their hands caught behind their knees. So what they do is they use their hamstrings to pull them up the slide to the, to the catch, to the flywheel when it should be basically when you're if you're at the catch which is when you're all balled up at the front ready to go it's legs then the hips open then the arms come in and then you're at the finish and then it's just the complete opposite then it's arms then you lean forward with the hips that'll put your hands in front of your knees and then your knees come up to the catch and then you don't get the chain bouncing up and down and all that stuff that makes ugly rowing that and Crossfitters specifically um, do this is that at the catch, they'll start with their shoulders. They'll throw their head and their shoulders back, thinking that rowing is an upper body movement. They got to wrap their head around it. The first engagement they should have is with their quads, then their glutes, then their hamstrings or their hip flexors, and then the arms. And then that, that wave of contraction can continue and be smooth. You see a lot of great pictures of people rowing on Instagram where their shoulders are behind their seat and they're just basically looks like they're um you know basically throwing their head back when they're starting starting to row and that's that can be fixed pretty easily with a coach and this is one where a lot of um the knees coming up too early like a, a coach can literally tactilely hold their knees down until their hands cross past their knees and then let them back up so i mean we you know you teach level two i've taken the level two and most people I think are going to learn better with you actually next to them and actually physically putting your hands on them than just trying to talk them through it. They need to feel it so that they get it right a lot of times. Yeah. And, and a couple of really important things that you said for one, it's a quarter extremity movement is basically, you know, what you're saying. And there's a big reason, you know, back in 06 and 07 for those that didn't have rowers, you remember what the scaling option was? Wasn't it like a sumo deadlift? high pull kettlebell yeah. thing yeah yeah it was for every 10 meters one sumo deadlift high pull wow you thought that that was a while ago that is crazy yeah i do remember that yeah, yeah so i mean because it really is and i tell you the expression i use and i believe i learned it at the concept of seminar was legs body arms arms body legs yep. and that's what i think about as i do it and i try to explain it um one other thing that i tell people maybe this is good or bad is you know how there's those two screws on the, on the on the, the neck monitor arm stanchions yep right so i always try to tell people like just low-hanging fruit hey keep the chain between those two screws that's that's a great idea and then also i've done for people is just take some chalk out of the chalk bucket give them two lines on that monitor arm station and just say listen if you ever find your chain even at intensity coming out of this range then then tighten the screws lessen the intensity get the get the smoothness down and then start applying force again um, that chain should be level as if you put a level on it, no matter if you're straight in the machine, it's a machine. That's it. Yeah, and I think, you know, if people are wondering, we often, Fern and I try to teach people like, okay, this is great, but how do you see it? It's really a lot of the same things that you would be looking for in the clean or the snatch. You know, are you seeing your elbows bending before the hips open? Like you said, are you seeing your shoulders rip back? Are you seeing... The, you know, the, the chain shaking is probably the equivalent of, hey, that bar's way out in front of the frontal plane. So those are just little things you can do. To, this is a drill that I've used. Tell me if you think it's one of the ones that box owners should do. First of all, I think box owners neglect it. Hey, if there's rowing in your workout, 
spend some time on the rower. Not necessarily every day, but no different than some days when there's snatches, you grab PVCs, and some days you don't. But yeah. spend a few minutes there because it can make up for a lot of time. But I like the drill where you keep your arms straight and you only use your legs because that really starts to – it's really, hey, deadlift, then snatch, right? It's teaching people to stand up all the way and open their hips. And this is teaching them to use their legs before pulling. Did you catch that, Greg? No, you're, you're, yeah, it cut out a little bit. I totally got it. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, if I was coaching a class, basically, you know, I said, okay, there's rowing in this workout. Let's just bring your rower out first. We'll use it for warm up. And as we do our warm up, here's what I want you to think about later in the workout. So you're, you're, com you're completely right. That is, that's a, a great way to do it. All right, so let's talk a little bit deeper about Concept2 itself. I was out there. Remind me of the owner's names. So it's Peter and Dick Dreisengacker. So we're out there. We're at this Concept2 seminar. We do a team workout. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like rowing, dumbbell thrusters, and burpees, I think. And I think it was like a minute at each station. And I'm my partner, <clears throat> another local affiliate owner. And we, we get this old guy as our partner. So it's like the three of us. And we're like, oh, cool. Like, and he tells me his name is Peter. And we're crushing, we're yelling at him because he's an older guy. This is, you know, 2009. I mean, he's probably in his mid to late 50s at the time, I would guess. Yeah, late probably, yeah. And, you know, we're yelling at him. Like, well, this is a team competition, but, you know, at the seminar. But in, in 2008, nine, everything was a competition. Right? <laughs> we wanted to win. We're screaming at this older guy wrap it up, you know, high five. Two seconds later, the guy that we're yelling at's on stage introducing himself as the founder of Concept2. <laughs> and we were like, oh shit, we just yelled at this guy for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Is that the culture of Concept2? Like it reminds me very much of Ben and Jerry's and maybe yeah. it's the Vermont thing where it's like, they're just two guys, you know, that, that put this together, but at the forefront of the businesses, you know, customer service, Give, doing the right things for the employees and ultimately just giving out the best product. No, you're exactly right. And, and no ego, like these guys, if you came here, if anybody came here and we had the whole company in a room, you wouldn't be able to say other than the fact that the tallest guy's there, but you know, who's the owner. They don't, you know, they don't want it like that. And um, it's um, they, they, they're engineers and incredibly smart guys, but what's great is like, they know what they like to do and what they're good at. And they, they trust us to do what we're good at and what we like to do. And it, it's worked out great. They really give you space to kind of, to kind of work. I mean, they were lucky enough to let me, I mean, my title is uh, director of motor and action sports and CrossFit. So they didn't give that to me. They just let me, I just, ah, it sounds cool. I'll just make it. So that's just like their, our culture. It is very much, um, you know, we're in Vermont because we all like to do outdoor stuff. I mean, we're here for a reason. It's definitely not the easiest place or the least expensive place to have a business, but it's about quality of life, good employees. Um, it's all, you know, from the founders down. Um, and they're still amazing athletes. Like they, they probably haven't missed a hundred days of training in their lifetime. I mean, they're, these guys are amazing. Uh, still some of the best you know, rowers and here, you know, at twice the age of some of the guys that are here that rode in college and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're great. We were at the games one year and this is one of the coolest things I'm standing next to Peter and this guy comes back and he's like, Hey, I just want to tell you, I just got back from Afghanistan 
And the only thing that kept me sane was your rowing machine. If you ever see the, the owners, I really want you to thank them. And I just point to the guy next to him. I'm like, well, you just told him that's him right there. And the guy was blown away. He's like, he couldn't believe that the owner of the company would be at the games, working the booth, handing out chapstick to people and stuff like that. So, you know, they, they love our community um, as much as we do, which is really, really cool. They, they love kind of the mentality that comes along with, uh, CrossFitters or anybody that wants to better their life through fitness, they really respect that, which, you know, it, it filters down to all of us as well. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you it had an impact on me because that was when I was very new to business ownership and being an entrepreneur and knowing the same dude that I was yelling at was actually the founder of the company. And he didn't feel the need to tell me that really right. changed my outlook. And that's kind of how I tried to to run my boxes and say, hey, I'm just another, I might be the owner here, but you know, I'm just training next to you guys and having fun with you guys. Yeah. And, and they ask us questions. I mean, they're clearly much smarter than all of us. And, um, and yet if there's a decision to, to be made, they, they, they're, it's not lip service. They're like, what do you think? You know? And, and it's, it puts a lot more pressure on us to make sure that we are right and we do what we need to do. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, um, well, there's a reason, and I've, I've been here 20 plus years so yeah it's, it's awesome I remember somebody asked them where the name concept two came from and they basically said the second concept of anything is always a little bit better is that where that is that am I right about that yeah you, you should win like a jeopardy trivia question on that because we get that a lot because people call all the time they're like oh I've got a I got an old rolling machine I think it's a concept one or you know when's concept three coming out we have to kind of go through the whole spiel but yeah so um these guys are great like so the skier was they had a prototype skier 10 years 15 years before whenever it came out and they just shelved so they have these a lot of these great ideas and they're like you know what it's it's good. We think we got it, but we're not going to force it. We're going to shelf it for a little while. We're going to think about it. We're going to make sure, you know, it is what we want to do. And then the second one usually, well, it's almost always better, you know, the second idea. So um, there's that, that, and then they always say, dude, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, which is another thing that they do is like, yes, we could do this, but I mean, let's really think about the consequences. Is it going to be beneficial or not? beneficial you know and then it's that time that you're thinking about it you know that slows things down that really makes you end up with a good product or a good idea or something like that so you mentioned the skier we talked about the bike earlier you and I whenever we probably see each other maybe once or twice a year these days and almost every time we see each other you remind me that I was the first person to use the skier in competition and there's memories of Dave Lipson just yanking on those arms, like doing tricep, it's, you know, early Thunderbro, if you will. But what role did CrossFit have on the development of these new pieces of equipment? Would you think if not for CrossFit, you guys would have just been all in on rowers and it was like, hey, we need to keep up with the market or provide new ways to torture people? Or do you think the erg and the bike and maybe some other things in the future would have come out anyway? Well, you know, it's funny and that's another... It's, I love where you're going with it because um, one of the things and I've interviewed Peter before and one of the things that he's always said is that they've never, when they started making the row machine, they didn't make it, they didn't make it to make money. They made it because they were rowers and they needed something to train on. Their kids are Olympic skiers. They made the skier so that the kids had something to train on and then fitness came later. 
and we're all mountain bikers. So we wanted something to play on. So we make the bike. So everything is done for sport first for ourselves. And if it's good, we just assume the fitness market will follow it later. So we've never made anything specifically to fit a specific niche or we think it's going to sell like crazy. I mean, there's probably a bunch of products we could make that would sell more than what we have now. But the thing is to be kind of honest with ourselves and what we're good at. We always look at ourselves first and say, what are we going to do? So, um, you know, in the summertime, if you're a Nordic skier, you have to roller ski, which is incredibly dangerous on the roads these days. It's just too many people on cell phones. So we're like, how do we get that stimulus of training in the, in the summer when we don't have snow and you can't fly to New Zealand to train? Well, we're going to make this machine called the skier and we're going to be able to get you know, pacing and all the wattage outputs and all that information so that we're ready for when the season starts. The original rower was Peter and Dick were training for the Olympics and they're from Connecticut. And, you know, in the wintertime, you need some way to train. So they got that and they started selling it to their other friends that, that you know, also were in the same predicament. And then with the now, most of us here, like I said, in the summertime, we want to weigh over the winter to train for mountain biking. You know, those of us that aren't hardy enough to be out on snow bikes and, you know, ride in 30 below weather, we just, you know, we've got the bike. Um, so, you know, everyone's like, what's next? What's next? And it's like, it depends on what sport we start doing next, I guess, is going to dictate that. So, <laughs> yeah, you would think you're running out of sports, but I'm sure you're not. What's, which is your favorite? So, skiing is. So I raced Nordic skiing in college. Um, so, you know, I kind of had a natural ability to that. I kind of, it was natural to me more so than, than rowing. Although we didn't have the skier for half the time I was here. So it was just rowing. I'm trying to get good at the bike. Um, but the problem is, is that our bike is so different than a typical spin bike. So I hate, FYI, I hate your bike. <laughs> Thank I, you. I will That's... only use it to warm up and cool down. I hate, I it's so hard to get like to accomplish the same amount of work relative to a rower in my opinion that 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 will that will i think that will change um, and the more you use it what we have people that say that they don't like it is because they're used to a spin bike where the weighted wheel assist in the pedal stroke ours right. is more like a real mountain bike or outdoor bike where it's clutched so if you don't put effort in there's nothing making those pedals go around but you there's um, no spinning there's no recovery spin like when i used to teach spin class back in the 90s yeah and so it's funny the guys that like it are the guys that are looking at it as a way to increase the strength and muscular endurance of their quads and their cardiovascular system as opposed to spinning where it's more of a caloric burn high tempo thing um What's nice is we're getting like, there's some road bikers that like it, but most of the real high end road bikers, they want to put their bike on a trainer. Um, but we're going to, they want to be used to the bike they're going to train on. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of the mountain bikers and a lot of the downhill mountain bikers and the enduro riders where you got to ride up the hill to ride down the hill uh, where they need these really strong, powerful piston like quads and things like that, which fits in great for us. Cause that's what we do. You know, we're, you know, there are not a lot of, there's not a lot of road cyclists here. We're all woods guys. And so it works out great for us. And we get to work with some of the best mountain bikers in the world, which is kind of cool. 
and our machine will also pair with things like Zwift and all these and Sufferfest and these other great cycling apps that you can use as well. Um, Sufferfest sounds fun. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's nice having the three. I'm lucky. I actually bought all three for my home. So I have three. So the other thing too, is it just breaks it up. If you row for a day, ski for a day, bike for a day and rotate it, you don't really get sick of it. Yeah. And just so, you know, you know, we live out here and, and hang with Dave and Camille a lot. Camille did a marathon on Thanksgiving before we went out to dinner between the rower, the erg and the bike. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> like what you were saying before, I think you'd find, even though you say you hate the bike and for the, you'll find your pacing is not, if you put it on pace, your pacing is not that far off. I wouldn't be surprised because you get meters quicker on the bike because there's no recovery. You know, you're just constantly spinning on there. Right. Your time on it, based on your pacing, you'll probably still be between a 150 and a 210 pace. And, you know, it's um, the difference between the bike and say like an air bike with arms is that there's no saving yourself. When your quads go, you just your quads go. Yeah, right. you're just like there's no leaning into the handlebars and trying to get you know get some power out of it. It's and I find, I mean, it's crazy. The other day I did a, a bunch of intervals on the biker and I looked down. I swear my quads were bigger than if I squatted. I mean, I had I, you walk away like you just got off a horse because I mean your just legs are just blown up. And so I am gonna try the rest of the well from January till spring to start forcing myself more on the bike and see how it translates to the mountain bike, you know, come, come April when I can start getting out on that. So I don't want to peek too far behind the curtain. So, you know, close it off if you don't want to answer these next two questions, yeah. but one, are we going to see the equivalent of an assault bike from concept two? No, no. And then, it, so to be perfectly fair, we, we thought about it. Um, but the market's pretty flooded. There's a lot of air bikes out there. I mean, there's the big, the big two, there's Assault and Echo. Um, and then coming out of China and Taiwan, there's basically versions of the Assault bike everywhere. Um, so there was that. And then also there's no sport of air biking. You know, it's like, you're never going right. to see, you're never going to see air biking in the Olympics. And for us, it ha it's worked for us so far as stick with sports that people know. And, you know, like, like we said, you know, it's, it's just not, it's a great piece of training tool, but it's not a sport. It's, 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 it's there to elicit a, you know, cardiovascular muscular response, which is great and all that stuff. But we, we tend to stick with, with, with sports, but we also say never say never, you know, it's doable. We know it's doable. Um, people ask us all the time for one. They want our monitor on a bike with arms and make it so it doesn't break like our other stuff. And, um, you know, we're, as you know, we're good friends with the road guys and Bill and Katie and stuff like that. And there's no reason to step on toes and, you know, there's plenty of business out there for everybody. So I think we're good with what, we're, what we've got now. Well, if anybody can take a machine that's terrible and make it worse, I believe it's concept too. Um, <laughs> in a good way. But that was kind of my other question. And then I think you kind of answered it, you know, Rogue really, you know, how, how impressive are Bill and Katie just, you know, incredibly impressive, smart, hardworking people. And, and one thing they do well is find these products that are working and, and come up with better, more robust versions. Is yeah. it simply your relationship with them? That's like, you know, it's surprising in this day and age that there's not a Rogue rower. 
Well, and I think it's a lot of, you know, mutual respect. I mean, Bill and Katie have been out here and believe it or not, even our founders that are much older than Bill, when Bill and our founders talk, I mean, there's a mutual respect. Like they're amazed what, and so am I, what Bill and Katie have built in a relatively short time. I mean, they're huge. We've been around 40 years and, and Bill did it in what, less like 10. You know, oh, when we yeah. first met Bill at Aromas, he was making wooden box jumps and that's it. And still working for that, you know, one of the car manufacturers. Rings. That was the first thing I bought with those rings. Yeah. I yeah, saw Bill so, at the games this year. And yeah. he goes, hey, was your email uh, body by Jay back in the day? Yeah. And I go, I go, yeah, how'd you know that? He go, he said, you were our third customer. Yeah. Which is, and, and that's the thing is like, and I mean, not to blow smoke or anything like that, but if someone did a uh, basically a biography, and I think they will at some time on on what Bill has done and, and how he's done it, because you, you and I know him better than most people. I mean, he studies industry. He studies, you know, all, you know, Ford and all these guys that made these great things. And I mean, it's not by chance that these guys are that successful. And then he's got, you know, the Batman Robin effect with Katie, who is, can just do anything, you know, plus their family. I mean, there, there's a reason it's just a, a great, like when we go out to the Rogue Invitational, it's like me going to Disneyland. It's just like fun. You know, everything's going to work great. You know, your volunteers are going to do everything just right. And it's just fun to work with those guys. We've had them out here to go skiing and stuff. I mean, they're just our kind of people. Um, which is which is kind of nice. I think that's that's why it works. And and actually, this funny story about their Echo bike. When we had our bike, we're like, well, we got to tell Bill and Katie we're building the bike. You know, it's only fair we tell them first because they sell a lot of our equipment. So we send it out there in this nondescript box, and then we fly out to show them. And so we we show them, and they look at it, and they kind of shake their head, and they're like, hey, bring out what we want to show them. And they bring out a nondescript box. <laughs> they're like, oh shit, what's this going to be? And they showed us the Echo bike and we showed them our bike. And then I was like, oh, thank God we didn't put arms on it, you know, because we didn't know at the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it's, um, we're lucky. That's a great relationship. And as you know, being at the games and being a judge and stuff is their ability to hire good people, second to none, even their volunteers. I mean, just, um, there's something about excellence likes excellence or excellence where, you know, can find excellence is that, that, you know, they, they're great about even from the guy turning the nuts and bolts to the guy selling the equipment, they do a really good job. How many concept twos do you think have been sold or do you know? Well, and not just sold, but out there, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if they're paid for or whatnot. How many, how many have been built? Yeah, so to be honest, I don't know, and and we wouldn't necessarily put it out there anyways. But um, figure, it's grown every year for the past forty years. So um, there's a lot of them out there. If you go on our online logbook, just the people who are on the online logbook are massive numbers that are on there. And you got to figure most not you know that's probably a small group of people that you know, as opposed to people who have rowing machines that don't use the logbook. Um, you know, it's, I get a lot of it, you know, how's CrossFit affected, you know, our sales and, and, you know, it's been incredible. It's really, really helped out. But the other side effect of that is we became cool and it got eyes on our equipment. And then even the people that would just really kind of shit on CrossFit who were strength and conditioning coaches, they would take, they would drive our products too. You know, we'd see people that said, Oh, I don't like functional fitness. I don't like CrossFit. Hey, but I like that rower or I like that skier idea. 
And then we're also, you know, I've always been big in the combat sports, boxing and MMA and stuff like that, where, you know, it takes total body fitness to a whole new level. You need to, you need to have a body that works and responds well to our equipment that they just pair well together. And then with the military, now every branch of the military gives an option, depending on your MOS or your job, a rowing equivalent to the run because they spend so much money training these people that if they get to say be 45 years old and their knees are shot from you know being deployed for so long they don't necessarily want to force them out of the military they want to make sure they're fit so they can use the rower and so we're getting big on that stuff too so we're constantly growing but we're also not letting it we're also not letting it cut back on our quality and our normal core values and stuff yeah you know I'm a huge UFC MMA fan and yeah. one of my biggest you know, cringy type things, you know, they, pet peeves is when I see these fighters with these, you know, very well-paid trainers using things like the concept too, and just everything we talked about earlier, changes flying all over the place, like just ripping. And I'm like, how do you guys not know how to use it? Like you're professional athletes. How do you not know better than just getting on the, you know, and ripping it? That's my, and that's my problem too, because I'm at a place like I want to encourage them to use it. I'm proud that they're using it. And so when I go to them and said, hey, you know, thanks for, you know, like Anderson Silva, or we worked really closely with BJ Penn and, you know, even Hackleman with, you know, Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell. And you say, hey, you know, we can clean up that technique. And they're like, oh, we don't care about technique. We're just trying to elicit a cardiac response. I'm like, but it could be right. better if you had better technique. Yeah, I'm like, I get that. But, um, but then again, so I went out, I was lucky enough um, when BJ was training. Um, this was after he was still doing some CrossFit, but it was with um, Marv Marinovich. And I got to go out to a training camp in California with the, with the Penn brothers. So BJ and JD, his older brother. And, and so I got to actually train with them uh, at Ruka, which was like the, one of the highlights of me working at Concept2. And I was kind of shitting on all these kind of weird ideas they had until I did it. Like he would do things where he would put the front end of the rower up about six inches. So that when he was coming up to the catch, he, he uses hamstrings, hamstrings and his core, and he would use like ghee material on the handles to throw. So it was like, right. Had to really grip material. So it was working on grip strength, you know? And so I'm watching him do it. I'm like, Oh, this is stupid. And then he had me do it. I'm like, Oh wait, this is not stupid. This is pretty cool. You know? And then um, he did the same thing with the skiers. They would take the handles off and put ghee material on there sometimes. And then, he would do things where he would be on a balance board or standing on these um, cylindrical tubes so that it wasn't just about power when you have great foot placement on the ground. It was having power when you maybe were out of balance a little bit. So, I mean, that's one of the great things about my job is I talk to trainers from all over the world. So I've really gotten good about not placing judgment until I go and try it and I see what they're talking about because, I mean as you know, being a health science guy too, is everything we've learned back in the late nineties has gone 180 or even 360 from what we learned over the years. I mean, I grew up in health science when you still carb loaded, you know, it's like, you know, things yeah. change. So yeah. You don't need to do a bowl of pasta the night before a marathon. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's, that's not even the worst of the stuff they taught us back then. So yeah. Well, I told you we'd only be on for 30 minutes and here we are almost an hour in, but let me ask you, one more, one last question, Greg, you know, we, we kicked off this show and I think, you know, if, if you've not seen Greg, like I said, 
he's if there's ever a rowing event and any big event these days he's the one running around checking the monitors doing all that stuff i don't think and correct me if i'm wrong we've ever had an issue at the games but what has been like the worst nightmare scenario for you in competition maybe it actually happened and something went wrong or you thought it was going to go wrong and you know the rain stayed away or you fixed it so well since we met dave and camille unfortunately camille was the one mistake at the games and uh it was we're in the tennis stadium I rem- that's right i remember this now yeah i yeah. was sitting in the front row watching us and at the time so we have this way to put the monitors in this 12-hour no timeout mode so that they don't time out and we don't give that out to everybody because you know the batteries get used more but in competition now you, when you see me out on the floor pushing buttons beforehand that's what i'm doing i'm making sure that they don't turn off during the competition well this was at the games before we had that feature so judges were instructed to and you might have been on the floor but probably this was right. during the marathon right no, no, this is way back. This was probably first year at, um, in, at Carson at the game. I don't think I was judging. I was there, but I wasn't judging that year, but yeah. But so we said, okay, so the thing was, there's a two-minute timeout on the monitors. So depending on if it's Rory or whoever's on the microphone and they're starting to talk, all the judges have to light up the monitors so that when the athletes walked up and started to row, they were ready to go. Well. I watched all the judges do it except for one. And I was just out of yelling reach to this judge. And he's looking around. I don't know who he is. He I would love to. We got to go back and find it because yeah. I'm sure and I know this person. So the problem was. is the It's guy probably Ferns, by the way. <laughs> talks a little too long. Camille goes to go take her first pull. And just as she pulls, the monitor goes out. She puts the handles down. Freaks out freaks out yeah you know mm-hmm. and, uh, and so dave looks up at me i freaking jump over the concrete go down we swap out the row really quick she's off and going um what would have happened if she had just kept rowing is it would have lit up on its own um and but, it catches up right yeah 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 so so even so the old monitors you'd have the logo that would come up and it, it was slow to come up but what people didn't realize is as that logo is coming up it's still keeping track and it it, it, it catches up I can't so, tell you the number of times in classes I've been like, just go, it's going to catch up. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's and now, and it, you know, it's not even an issue now on the PM5s, it's an instant light up, and um, I think, too, if you do a firmware update on your PM3s, it does the same thing. We got away of that logo that's in there. Um, so, unfortunately, and I'm good friends like you with, with Dave, it's, I, Camille finished the workout, everything was fine, all that stuff. I went right to Dave, I'm like, man, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm like, and he was Dave's typical Dave, you know, he's like, yeah. don't worry about it, man. It's okay. You know, and I was yeah. like, okay. And then the other, you, the marathon row, um, it went in the stadium where we had the false start. That one, that freaked me out because the false start. Two years ago, the, the years full ago, marathon. Full marathon, the false start kind of set at this little wave of, it took a while to reset. And of course, Dave comes over to me and he's like, Dave, he goes, Greg, how long is this effing going to take the fix? And I just turned to my computer guys and I said, how long is this effing going to take the fix? <laughs> and then it fixed it and it was okay. But then it was such a long event that they were sweating so much that Frazier, who you know, is a friend of mine from Vermont, 
friend of ours, and I look down and all the cables are under his mat and he sweats so much that these cables were probably a good half inch under sweat and water. And I just, the whole three hours, I was panicky. I was like, water's going to get into one of these cables and it's going to, can you imagine being, you know, 10 minutes from finishing your marathon and have the whole system blink out, but we made it through there. And after a couple of beers, after I calmed down, so it was okay. For the record, I think it was more than just sweat. I think there was a little bit of urine mixed in there, Greg. I fought that. So I was like, no way. I mean, I've done marathon. We do a lot of marathons here. I've never had to pee myself doing a marathon. So I'm like, it, everyone's just saying that to be funny. And I'm in a, I'm in an elevator. I won't say who it's with. And there's this woman in there and she's like, oh, so, you know, sorry about all the machines and all this and that. And I said, yeah, but it really wasn't pee. And she goes, oh no, one was my daughter. And, and she did. So she confirmed it that at least one female athlete did pee on the machine. So, well, I was on the last seat of judging and I had to then help clean up. Let me tell you, there's plenty of pee on that competition floor. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I've kept you very long here. Speak to the coaches. Last thing I want to ask for box owners to coaches, what's the importance and what's going to be the impact of concept two on the CrossFit world? What's going to be the impact? I think the impact's been, been made. I, I think what if I'd want to get across to them is that, you know, we are, we are them, you know, we are CrossFitters. We are people who work out all the time and that if you ever need anything, we literally are an 800 number phone call away. That's what's so rare about us. You know, luckily Rogue is the same way, but if there's anything, don't even have to go to the internet to find out what the issue is. Just call us and talk to us. And, you know, and we'll, we'll fix you up. And like I said, a lot like Rogue, I think we're really good at hiring really motivated, nice people. And you're always going to get somebody that can help you. And, and if we can't, we'll find a way to do it. So that's, that's the big thing, I guess, the takeaway from the whole thing. Um, you and I were both at the affiliate 15 year plus meeting out there. And um, I do like the direction it's going with, you know, health and wellness. And, and that's kind of where we, where we started. And, um, and, you know, it's, I don't, I don't see it. It might change the competition side, but there's always going to be people in gyms using our equipment to better their lives. And that's kind of where we put our stock. You know, it's like, we want those people. So. Yeah. It was really cool. Just over the years from 2006, 2007, you know, this day and age, you go to any global gym, any hotel gym, and you kind of see CrossFit equipment there now, you know, yep. from, from kettlebells to medicine balls, et cetera. But I remember one of the first pieces of equipment I started to see were Concept2 rowers. And it's, you know, yep. whenever I show up somewhere and there's a Concept2 rower, I at least know, you know, the, the, I can do the most devastating workout, my least favorite workout in all of CrossFit, the 2K row. So, you know, you it's it's always nice to see a concept two rower at hotels. I've been on cruise ships like you've been on, yeah. and you know the concept two is there, and you know you can always get a good workout. And uh, that's one thing too. So people don't realize because they don't really go to our website much. Is go to our website because we actually have a rower finder. So you can put in a zip code, and it will show you all the gyms and the hotels and all the row machines that are around mm -hmm. you. So when we do these challenges, a lot of people that travel will pick their hotels based on where our machines are, which is great. Um, we're right in the middle of our holiday challenge right now. So we have a lot of people doing that. If they don't have access to the web, they'll call us up and say, Hey, can you find me the closest rowing machine? And a lot of times this is what's great about the CrossFit community. These could be non-crossfitters. They could be just rowers. I'm like, you know what? 
there's an affiliate that's right by your hotel. I guarantee you they have our equipment. And if you just say, listen, can I pay you something or buy a t-shirt just to row on the rowing machine for an hour? I don't think I've ever had an affiliate say no to anybody. They're like, no, come on in and do it. And so, you know, and, and if someone comes back and they said, hey, thanks for sending me that affiliate, that owner was really awesome. You know, I make, I take note of that. I'm like, that guy's got our back. You know, that's kind of cool. That, and that, that means a lot to us. That's really awesome. And I think, you know, again, it's the culture from the founders to you guys, you know, to the CrossFit community. It's really awesome. I appreciate you staying on for so long. I have a whole list of more questions I'd love to get at, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it an episode there. And I'd love to get you back on the show in the new year. I'd like to see next time you go home, if you ever go back to Albany, come by here, we'll do an in-house one. And now we don't have to worry about the internet connection or anything like that. But you know, you're always loved and welcomed here in Vermont anytime. I would, I would love to do that. I'm hesitant because I know you guys would put me through the ringer, but I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I'll probably see you in a couple months in, in Madison, Wisconsin. I'll see you in Madison, if not sooner. Yeah, it'll be on an event somewhere. But you're always in judge mode, so it's funny. You always got your game face on. I got to get you when you're not actually on the floor. Well, you have typically – well, you have multiple events these days with the Masters and the teens, I'm sure. But I know in years past, it's kind of – you've alluded to, it's like, well, we got through it. Now I get to enjoy myself. But I'm sure, you know, in 2019 and 2020, you have the Concept 2s and the skiers and the bikes and so many events that you're – kind of dialed in for the entire weekend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And thanks for even offering to do this. I'm flattered. It's, you know, Hey, just the concept to employee. I don't know if sure I'm worthy of a podcast, but thanks. Well, based on your title that you gave yourself, you are <laughs> yeah. more than worthy. And for those listening, go support concept too. I'm sure you guys already do, but like Greg said, if you need anything, they're a bunch of great people, go reach out to them and they're going to take care of you. Thank you very much, Greg. Yeah, no problem. Jace. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Just a reminder, Fern and I have an amazing new show called Dropping In, premiering on our YouTube channel in early 2020. Be sure to head over to the Best Hour of Their Day YouTube channel now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You've probably heard us talking about it, summarizing some of our trip. You can see some highlights up on our Instagram as well, at best hour of their day. But I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out. So subscribe now. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for letting us be a part of your lives. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Best Hour of Their Day.